Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Pulse podcast, where I'll be reviewing the latest in the market news, some fun money mishaps, and uh, doing some chart analyses uh, in terms of gold and the S&P 500. So stay tuned for that. But before we get started, let's uh, see our intro and risk disclosure to keep our attorneys happy. There's our risk disclosure, keep our attorneys happy. Obviously, like, subscribe on my socials, guys, and I always reply to the comments in the comments section. So if you have any advice for this podcast, feel free to throw that in in that section. So today we've got uh, quite a fun podcast. And just to set you up, I'm actually doing this before our typical Friday, so this is not a live recording. If you're hearing this now, I am on the beaches in uh, Mexico. Hopefully the sands are white and the sun is out. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that we got this to you, and I've got the latest news coming uh, from the last week, hitting your guys' new stack so that you know what's relevant, what's going on, and I'm going to give you some really cool uh, differentiation around how we're going to be doing our charts. So rather than doing a live review, because it won't be live, I'm actually going to dive into how I set up the charts to do my technical analysis uh, both on gold and the S&P 500, but probably just on one or the other, so that you're not just relying on me on how to set up these technical levels and how to read them to predict uh, what technically is going to happen in the future. And I know a lot of you watch this podcast just for that analysis, so that is something you're not going to want to miss and you're going to stay uh, tuned for. To start, I'm going to kind of mix things up today. We're going to actually start with our money mishaps section where we jump into the stupid and the funny and the crazy things happening in the market that are just frankly laughable. And the subject of the matter right now is the World Economic Forum. And I don't know how many of you guys watch this, but there's this meeting where all of the elites get together in Davos uh, flying their private jets to talk about climate change and burning fossil fuels. The hypocrisy is through the roof. I'm sure the uh, the area is filled with a bunch of hypocrisy in terms of politicians and these so-called elites. And it's frankly, from my opinion, not what it used to be or was staged as. It's really a uh, synergistic forum for people who can pay $40,000 a ticket to go to to maybe be in the same room to get deals done. It's really not this ideal uh, place where we're pushing. I mean, they are trying to push collectivism, but it's really not a place where uh, we're making big global moves, but we are making global deals. And a lot of the people that are trying to close deals do get together there because, frankly, you're in the room with a bunch of million 10 million, 100 million, and billionaires uh, that can get the job done. So uh, I want to share with you, though, kind of this interesting uh, thing that happened at Davos. And this was not uh, recent, but it was at more, one of the more recent events. And it was, this just gives you a sense of the interesting type of people Davos is bringing in and how maybe we are seeing uh, these elites, what these elites are going and watching, that's a form of entertainment and kind of a mix of entertainment and 
maybe these uh, political ideals mixed in uh, around like how we should be changing the world. So you, you just you got to watch this. This was one of the opening ceremony acts where uh, one of the performers, and I know I, like I'm going to get criticism around this, but it's just laughable. This is a video of, I'm going to call it uh, an air flute uh, performance where someone literally got on stage at the World Economic Forum in probably one of the most expensive events in the world ever hosted and decided not even to bring her instrument. So you got to watch this. Just just watch for a second. Based on the sentiment of Davos, and we're going to go into a section around this, around Javier uh, Mele, who took the world by storm in his speech at Davos uh, around collectivism and the lack of freedom that we're pushing across the globe. Uh, Maybe this was like a strange indoctrination air flute thing that was happening to try to soothe the audience into this uh, hey, it, new, these new ideas we're pushing are better than your freedoms. I don't know. I don't know if she actually said that, but uh, kind of a fun th- thing to play with. So this is Davos, guys. This is where the elites are paying an extraordinary amount for a, a ticket for a few days to get together and listen to how we're going to change the world for the better. And these are the type of performers that are showing up. Now, I want to move from this into... Normally, I go into our psychology segment, and I want to move into what happened to Davos that took the world by storm. And I'm going to play this video. This is a video of the Argentina president who, it's really kind of a complex idea, but got invited to come to the World Economic Forum. I mean, how can you not, right? You're the president of a country. And then got invited to the stage, and I just don't know how Klaus Schwab didn't expect this type of speech to come out of his mouth. But at the same time, I don't know how they could have not let him speak and not let him come and do this. And so I I think they really found themselves between a rock and a hard place in terms of being a global forum and maybe uh, not allowing a certain leader to come on. But I loved what the president said. This is Javier uh, Mele. And uh, you just got to hear it. You got to hear the first like minute, minute and a half. So let me play this for you. And then I've got some feedback on what this is. But you can find this on YouTube. It's about a 25-minute speech. And if you haven't listened to it, go on YouTube, look it up. You've got to listen to this. There's some really great uh, translation videos where they actually do a voiceover, uh, one of which I'm going to play. And it is just mind-blowing. And the topic is around collectivism. Uh, You could also say socialism, Marxism, uh, the Eastern philosophy on financial change versus Western theory, uh, which would be capitalism, democracy. And he goes into the facts. He goes into the historical details of his own country 
as collectivism, socialistic ideals, got pushed into the country and what happened and how poverty is imminent. It's this thing that you just cannot avoid when you move into this type of movement. So here, you've got to hear this for yourself and then watch the whole thing on your own in your own time. I would say this is the biggest news that we've had financially for probably the last month coming to you live from the World Economic Forum, the president of Argentina. So here we go. So here's Klaus Schwab, and he's inviting the uh, president up on stage. And he kind of knows, kind of knows that he is not going to uh, be flowing with the tide, so to speak. He's going to be rowing upstream a little bit in this speech. So here, here Javier comes up to the stage. And here we go. There's about a minute and a half we're going to watch of this. So just, just listen up really close. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Today I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is in danger because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Do believe me, no one better place than us, Argentines, to testify to these two points. When we adopted the model of freedom, back in 1860, in 35 years we became a leading world power. And when we embraced collectivism over the course of the last 100 years, we saw how our citizens started to become systematically impoverished, and we dropped to spot number 140 globally. But before having the discussion, it would first be important for us to take a look at the data that demonstrate why free enterprise capitalism is not just the only possible system to end world poverty, but also that it's the only morally desirable system to achieve this. If we look at the history of economic progress, we can see how between the year zero and the year 1800, approximately, world per capita GDP practically remained constant throughout the whole reference period. If you look at a graph of the evolution of economic growth throughout the history of humanity, you would see a hockey stick graph, an exponential function that remained constant for 90% of the time and which was exponentially triggered starting in the 19th century. The only exception to this history of stagnation was in the late 15th century with the discovery of the American continent. But for this exception, throughout the whole period between the year zero and the year 1800, global per capita GDP GDP stagnated. Now, it's not just that capitalism brought about an explosion in wealth 
from the moment it was adopted as an economic system. But also, if you look at the data, what you will see is that growth continues to accelerate throughout the whole period. And throughout the whole period between the year zero and the year 1800, the per capita GDP growth rate remained stable at around 0.02% annually, so almost no growth. Starting in the 19th century, with the Industrial Revolution, the compound annual growth rate was 0.66%. Uh, and um, at that rate, in order to double per capita GDP, you would need some 107 years. Now, if you look at the period between the year 1900 and the year 1950, the growth rate accelerated to 1.66% a year. So you no longer need 107 years to double per capita GDP, but 66. And if you take the period between 1950 and the year 2000, you will see that the growth rate was 2.1%, again, the CAGR, which would mean that in only 33 years, we could double the world's per capita GDP. This trend, far from stopping, remains well alive today. If we take the period between the year 2000 and 2023, the growth rate again accelerated to 3% a year which means that we could double uh, world per capita GDP in just 23 years. That said, when you look at per capita GDP since the year 1800 and until today, what you will see is that after the Industrial Revolution, global per capita GDP multiplied by over 15 times, which meant uh, a boom in growth that lifted 90% of the global population out of poverty. We should remember that by the year 1800, about 95% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty, and that figure dropped to 5% by the year 2020 prior to the pandemic. The conclusion is obvious. Far from being the cause of our problems, free trade capitalism as an economic system is the only instrument we have to end hunger, poverty, and extreme poverty across our planet. The empirical evidence is unquestionable. Therefore, since there is no doubt that free enterprise capitalism is uh, superior in productive terms, the left-wing doxa has attacked capitalism, alleging matters of morality saying, uh, that's what the detractors claim, that it's unjust. They say that capitalism is evil because it's individualistic and that collectivism is good because it's altruistic, of course, with the money of others. So they therefore advocate for social justice. But this concept, which in the developed world became fashionable in recent times, in my country has been a constant in political discourse for over 80 years. The problem is that social justice is not just and it doesn't contribute either to the general well-being. Quite on the contrary, it's an intrinsically unfair idea because it's violent. It's unjust because the state is financed through tax, and taxes are collected coercively. Or can any one of us say that they voluntarily pay taxes, which means that the state is financed through coercion, and that the higher the tax burden, the higher the coercion, and the lower the freedom. Those who promote social justice, the advocates, start with the idea that the uh, whole economy is a pie that can be shared differently. But that pie is not a given. Okay, okay, there's a lot to unpack it here, and I let that go a little bit longer than I intended, but it's just so good. It, like, grabs you and pulls you into his words. Now, you've got to get that Javier is 
one, the president of an entire country, and two, the first libertarian president ever elected ever. And their shift in the economy, their shift in their economic place in the world has really created this demand by the populace to bring someone like him in as president. Now, there's really what he's arguing is really this what I would call the battle between Eastern and Western thought when it comes to money, meaning that Eastern thought uh, really is about collectivism, Marxism, socialist, socialistic ideals, uh, and, and communism. I mean, really communism. And so we see that a lot in like Eastern philosophy and the Eastern countries and how they run their politics. And where Western thought is very democratic, uh, very capitalist, and I would say uh, free market-based. And according to uh, Melly's argument, his data, the world may be trying to do an experiment around a better system using collectivism, but known to date, capitalist ideals and capitalism is the most effective form of growth to help prevent poverty across a nation and or the world. And I think it's um, it's important to note, like, we have this weird thing where government slowly starts to step in to take over. So I have some, I have some opinions on this, where we start to lean and we start to have the younger generations possibly leaning towards these socialistic ideals. And I actually see a lot of them waking up like, oh, this isn't working either. I'm not getting more at all. In fact, if anything, things are costing more. This inflation thing that happened is really hurting me. And realistically, uh, they look at maybe maybe this everyone wins thing isn't the best for society. Like we saw in the last couple generations, especially in the U.S., where everyone got a participation award, everyone got a trophy, there were no losers. And then we started to carry some of those beliefs into the free market, and we kind of started to develop this fear of businesses failing. Like when a business would fail, we look for opportunities, or we, the government and the big players in the market look for ways for the government, which is really the people, to bail them out for their poor mistakes. And it really creates a society where the big are too big to fail. Uh, and we've heard this uh, kind of terminology thrown around. And too big to fail is not a free market ideal. It's a collectivism ideal. And it does not incentivize efficiencies. It does not uh, allow for accountability within markets. And it really goes against the four basic principles of capitalism, which are freedom to buy, freedom to sell, freedom to try, and freedom to fail. And that last piece uh, on the, the fourth is really crucial to a highly efficient, a highly productive society is this failure part. Now, if you look at the things in the market where the government has intervened, just take a moment in the U.S. and go, what and where has the intervening been happening? Where is this collectivism ideal uh, being or or occurring in our country? Where is it showing up the most? Well, we see it in our healthcare system for sure, where a lot of people would say, well, everyone should have free healthcare. Everyone should have access to good healthcare. And I don't actually disagree with that. However, when the government g- comes in, 
Two things happen. One, it becomes way less efficient, which actually drives up the cost for healthcare. And then two, what also happens is it becomes uh, more expensive because there's no competition. Where if you look at a product like, I don't know, let's just say a, a TV. TVs, even with inflation happening, have gone down in price. To get the same flat screen LED TV that was out two years ago today, you're, you just kind of know, well, I'm gonna, I expect to pay less. And the big question might be why? And I would answer, it has a lot to do with our, our lack of government control and activity in that market. Like imagine for whatever reason, Sony, Toshiba, you know, one of these uh, LED TV companies, for some reason, needed to bail out, and the government started running the production of the TVs. Well, two things would happen. One, the efficiency and the quality of the TVs would go sideways, if not drop. And two, TVs would actually cost more because there's no incentive for production efficiencies. There's no incentive to drop costs. There's no incentive to make these more cost effective. There's no incentive to make them cheaper and and to beat the competition. Therefore, when you go shop for a TV, you're going to pay a lot more for that thing to get a lot less uh, and have a lot more problems with it. And so it really disables this. What Javier points to is really the what's happening with these collectivism experiments, what happened directly to Argentina when they did it, the actual results in GDP, actual measurable results, and where the world is going if we embrace this, which is really a massive divide between the wealthy and the poor and impoverished nations globally. And so he's making a very strong argument. And for, guys, for almost 25 minutes straight, I mean, you got to get his audience. He calls out the establishment, which were the attendees. He called out the political figures. He called out the largest uh, powerful financial players in the market. They were all there for the most part. And he's just flat out saying the opposite of everything they want to hear because frankly, their agenda, they are motivated to keep things moving, even if what they're doing is inefficient, even if they make mistakes, they shouldn't be held accountable. All of these problems happen when we start to bring in the government. And we can really see that with, just again, look at anything in this country that the government has taken over in terms of uh, watching the asset class, subsidizing it, etc. Look how much it's, one, disabled the innovation, but two, also the cost. You could just look at it on any time scale has gone up faster than anything that's been left alone in the free market. All right, so that is the big news from Javier. I want, from there, I want to transition. We're going to move over to my psychology piece. I'm going to play this. I really love this video as part of the transition, but I'm going to play this video uh, from Randy, who's this mass uh, psychologist around trading. He's, he's a psychologist first and then uh, a trader second, and he talks about um, how valuable trading is. And I really see it this way. I really got my mindset and like how to even be a better human, mostly from trading being my catalyst. And so I love this video. I want you guys to watch this as we transition. So here we go. Well, there's a wonderful thing about trading is that most of us spend a lifetime avoiding our psychological demons. In trading, they're going to stalk you. They're going to find you. 
And trading offers the incredible environment of getting in tune with yourself, developing yourself psychologically so that you're a better human being in a lot of domains, including trading. But you have to understand, trading is going to provide a platform that's going to give you a scalpel to look at your psyche, and you're going to have to reorganize it to be a really good trader. So from this quote, you are in probably one of the most conducive environments to get into your mind to see what's going on, to deal with your greatest demons. And what does that mean? I, When I first started trading, it was probably the first time I really got a sense of how much emotional energy, how much of my psychology was based around money and how it was really a reflection of all the other areas of my life, right? We have the four areas. You've got financial, you've got relationships, you've got spiritual, and you've got health. And I saw how the bleed effect happened in all three. Like if I was suffering in one, I was suffering in all three. And the more that I got into trading, the more mistakes I made, you could say, the more losers I had, the more that I allowed my psyche to get in the way of actually getting the results I wanted, the more I realized I needed some training. And it is such a conducive environment that I want to share this training with you that I put together years ago about the difference between something I call power or being powerful and being forceful. So I'm actually go through this whole thing with you guys and then uh, provide some insights on this. And then we'll get into my favorite part where we'll kind of dissect how I do my technical analysis. So let's start from the beginning. So this is my power being powerful, and being is such a powerful word, by the way. It's being powerful, being forceful. It's who you're being. It's this inner stance, this inner position that you have that when you sit behind the computer, you and your psyche, your machinery has everything to do with your results. And if you don't think so, I'd have you listen from a place of like you've never considered how much of your results have to do with your psyche. Like you've been hunting for tools. You've been hunting for the silver bullets, the answers, the strategies, the bots, the, the indicators, the, the right coach, the right articles, newsletters, subscriptions, uh, charting software. You've just been hunting, hunting, hunting for the what. And really it was about the how. And what influences the how is you. It's your being. And you're either being powerful when you're trading or you're not. And the not is force. And we're going to talk about the difference so you can identify and hopefully see some patterns that you're showing up in inside of your trading, whether being powerful or forceful. So let's first talk about force. Force comes from outside factors. It's really easy to see in the language of I have to, I should, or I need to. And an example is, have you ever felt like you were doing something out of pressure created by others? Like you're doing it from a societal norm standpoint, from the outside pressure looking in, the societal way looking in towards you, rather than doing actually what you want. Well, your actions are driven by force, by a whip, rather than a carrot, right? An incentive versus a ball and chain. Instead of having wings, you have an anchor. And force has some very unique identifiers, whether you're trading or it's in another area of your life. And I want to share some of those with you. The work or activity you're doing, not that it's actually the thing you're doing, but the way you're being inside of it 
is draining. Now, I want to say that again. Like, the work or activity you're doing, it feels heavy, but it's actually not about that. Like, how many of you are like, well, I just need to change my job because it feels so heavy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I need to kill this relationship because it's so blah, blah, blah. I need to, you know, change this, do that, blah, blah, blah. And it's all about how you feel. It's like you think the thing is actually causing the feeling. And I'm going to have you flip this around a little bit. Like, maybe it's not. Maybe the result is coming from how you feel. And it's the opposite order. It's not attractive, Like, force is not attractive. It does not have others gravitate towards you. If you feel like you're doing something and your group is small, you ask for help and people really don't want to say yes, you're often operating from a place of force. It's not the thing. You can have a great product, a great strategy. You can have a a great incentive, political agenda, whatever. But if you're not operating from a place of power, it's not going to have people gravitate towards it. And often they will resist it. They'll even push against it. You'll become a target. You're left feeling incomplete or wanting. There's a sense that the thing is the solution, right? This indicator, this strategy, this uh, new guru that I'm following. And it's like the image of force that creates the resistance of pushing back. Like this gal who's pushing on a wall. If you push someone... The natural inclination in nature is to push back. And it's the way gravity works. It's when you throw something through the air, there's natural resistance and air resistance. It's just what happens. It's like a natural law around force. Now, power is much different. Power comes from within. And have you ever wanted something that it just didn't matter what you said or did? You just knew you were going to get it no matter what. Well, this could have been an object. It could have been an idea. It's almost like something true was running the attraction towards the thing. Like you just knew you were going to get it. And what happened? You got it. Power, like force, is measurable. Also, these are not like woo-woo terms, guys. These things can all be measured. And you can see them in the results. It's not just also one or the other. There's a sliding scale of power and force. There's always more powerful and more force. And who you are that is true, that comes from who you really are, will give you access to more power in your life. So who you are that's true, that comes from who you are, will really give you access to more power in your life. It's like we forget who we really are. It's such a cliche thing to say, and people go, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, but you don't get it. Like true power comes from within, True power comes from who you really are, and it doesn't show up until you recognize it. It's always there. You just forgot about it. Power is a function, or how I would say it, it's the function to attract the things you want. It's the velocity to attain the things you want, to magnify and attract the very thing, your natural desire, free of the restraints that come from force. Now, why do we choose force? Well, using force is easy. It it really is. We learn it as a child. When we choose force, we lack courage. When we choose force, we're often getting a payoff that keeps us from seeing the real cost. It's quicker. It's easier. When uh, we use force, we are often creating and investing in some type of an illusion that control and manipulation works. And we love the ego, our small self, the one that isn't us, the small I is what I call it really loves manipulation and control because we just 
In a world of chaos, we crave consistency. And so we try to control our surroundings in a world that's always changing. And gosh, what a lesson that is to learn in the markets. So payoffs are a big part of why we choose force over power. It's why you do it. It's why I do it. I'm guilty still of using force, of like having lower levels of power is another way to say it. And common payoffs that come from force are the following. We get to be right. We get to look good. And we get to feel accepted. This is kind of this societal thing that happens. We also have some major costs. And I want you to pay attention to these because the costs, if you were present to the cost enough, you would not take the payoff. If you're, let me say that again. If you were present enough to the cost of like taking these shortcuts and not getting what you wanted, if you were, were present to the cost, you will just keep doing it. And so the, knowing these costs, this is important to tune into because if you start to see them, especially with your trading, it's very likely your results will shift. And so common costs that come from using force are where you stay stuck, meaning you run the insanity cycle over and over. We don't progress. Sounds similar. We don't change. And we keep doing the same things, expecting different results, right? The, the definition of insanity, as we say. So here's some excuses that are often an indicator that you're operating from a place of force. Here's one. Well, I don't have enough money. I'm blaming my training results because I I don't have enough money. Or I can have only one or the other. Or there is not enough. Or I don't have enough time. Or I don't have the skills. And pain and suffering are often an indicator as well. So when we experience pain and or suffering, now there's a difference between uh, suffering and like initial pain. And I would say that most of this, like suffering is really the indicator. Pain is like I cut my leg and there's pain and that's like an indicator that I need to do something to the leg to make it better. Suffering is where you keep reliving the pain unnecessarily over and over and over again. And so some of the indicators that help you with this is really the suffering part. And our body often is the messenger. The reason your body and mind gives you these signals is so that we'll look at it, right? If you cut your leg, it's like, hey, take care of that. What's causing this pain and suffering? And it's intended to make lasting change. Now, it's often not about the thing. It's about a belief around the thing. It's around something in our head. Like if your trading is causing you this emotional distress, if you're investing uh, and it going poorly or the stress of it or whatever, is causing all these emotions to come up. It's not about the trading. It's about your belief around what's going on. It's around what's going on up here. Because some of the greatest minds, well-trained, have taken the time to go in with the scalpel into their psyche. Win or lose, don't have these things come up. Win or lose. You look at some of the great ones, like the Warren Buffetts of the world, emotionless when it comes to trading. And that's not a bad thing. It's like almost the requirement, but it's because they're with the truth. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So what would things look like? I just want to give you this hypothetical. So what if you could live life with just more power? Who here doesn't want more power, right? Who here doesn't want added power to whatever level you already have? Maybe you're already living this extremely powerful life. Who doesn't want more? I do. 
Well, what if power actually created more of the things you naturally wanted? Like just the power side. And with more ease and less effort. It's like, wait a minute, Matt. You're telling me I could have more power and it would be easier and I wouldn't have to work as hard. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like this is why powerful people get what they want. This is why powerful people go from zero to hero so quickly or people that weren't powerful and shift into power. It's like this crazy thing happens. Well, look at the people you know and hear about that have it all. The people that went from zero to hero, whether it's health, love, relationships, wealth. And like, what is it that's going on there? It might fascinate you. I would have you see that maybe that's fascinating. Like this thing that... uh, maybe create some curiosity for you. And if it does, you might ask yourself, I wonder if it has something to do with power. I wonder if this power conversation had something to do with that zero to hero in such a short period of time. And I would say that's exactly what's happening. So the how to more power, uh, I think is important. And it has to do with this word called truth. So power is always correlated to truth. And truth is simple and easy because it needs no defending. Access to your power comes in unveiling the truth. It comes by being with reality and leaving the fantasy or illusion. It's not something learned. It's something remembered. It's something that you've always known. And that's such a great realization to have, especially once you've had some truths revealed, to realize like, oh my gosh, this was something I created to block me from the truth. The truth was always there. And with truth comes power. Can't ignore Ray Dalio, philanthropist, hedge fund manager, billionaire. uh, One of my personal favorites said this quote. He said, the best advice I can give you is to ask yourself, what do you want? Then ask, what is true? And then ask yourself, what should be done about it? I believe that if you do this, you will move much faster towards what you want to get out of life than if you don't. And it's like, oh my gosh, Ray Dalio is like pointing to this thing. It's, he says, he talks about the truth. Like, how do I get to what's true or truer? I like that word, what's truer. And then once you're with what's true, what needs to be done about it? And are you the being, do you have the power to act on that once you know the truth? And so what does true mean? Well, there's a lot of uh, discussion on this topic, and I'm going to narrowly focus it on financials. So, but truth is like the trueness of an arrow. And the truer an arrow is, the more likely it is to nail its target during flight. And the search for truth will get you more access to power. We just know this. This is what Ray Dalio was talking about. It gets you to your results much quicker than anything he knows of. And we're talking about one of the most successful hedge fund managers in the world. It will increase the rate and accuracy around hitting targets you seek if it's truer, right? If I have this arrow that's got this weird bow in it and I pull it back and take the shot, it doesn't matter how straight and unique I'm trying to aim it. It's not going to be easy to hit that target. But the truer it is, the more accurate it hits targets when you're aiming. And how many people would like to start hitting some of the targets they're aiming at, specifically in your training results? Now, remember, it's not a destination, rather a refinement and discovery. It's like a shot, I missed, okay, turn, shoot again. It's not about 
one time. It's not about taking one shot. It's really a process of finding truth, or what I say, what's truer. Now, is that true? There's a really fun game that you can play, and I do this for myself. This is an exercise I do that I've developed over the years to help me be with the markets, to help me be with my beliefs of of what I think the market's going to do, and I ask this simple question. I ask, is that true? Is it true? So when I go, oh, well, I think the stock's going to go up, and here's why, blah, 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 before I get really sold on that idea and I start developing a cognitive bias, especially if I own the stock or I'm in the trade, uh, which can definitely get your head spinning, I ask myself, well, is that true? And then the game is really simple. When you hear yourself create or share meaning behind the story, well, like, yeah, of course it's true because blah, 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 you could ask, well, what would be a truer way of saying that? Or what would be a truer way of seeing it? Or what would be a cleaner story to identify this? This also has to do with your beliefs around your target. You have a way you would go for something you wanted, and you might start to see that there's more effective and proven ways in nature that provide you the results that you want. They're just natural. I find that looking at nature, also with this truer game, like even going outside and being with nature, really gets me into reality. And reality is where the market is, by the way. There's nothing you can do willfully to make the market move. You can't wish it to go up or down. It's just not going to happen. You can't pray for it to go up or down. It's just not going to happen. There are natural laws running. And to know the laws and to see them often in nature really shows up in the market. It's where Fibonacci came from. How many of you guys know about that? It was a natural occurrence in the world before we started using it in the markets. And it works in the markets also. So if you don't believe me, just go out and look and then go into the markets, go into whatever it is you're trading and see if you can't find parallels between nature and what you're trading to kind of align with reality easier. Now, arguing with truth is not a great idea. You can do it. I would not recommend it. Arguing with the truth or what is only results in pain or excuse me, arguing with truth or what is arguing with what is only results in pain and suffering. Back to that cost thing. Uh, it creates a cycle of force that is exhausting. So if you're feeling exhausted, it's very likely that you're operating from some place of force. And accepting what is and learning to love it will give you access to power and the results you have been longing for rather than settling for this payoff, this like little win that really has a major cost. And the cost is your life. It's your time to have the one life you've always dreamed of and all the things in it, the one that is for the person you really are, not the one you've been pretending to be. So here's your curve. Here's like your goal. Here's like maybe where you want to take your trading account, the, maybe the goal, the graph around its results. And with power, it looks very different. Like the celebrities, like the, the people you know that went from zero to hero. When you start adding real power in your life, you do not have to live on a normal timeline. And the results you can get can and often become very exponential because you become obsessed with reality and you really stop dropping your stories about what isn't so. And so from this, I created a formula. It's really clever, actually. Uh, I use some of these these ideas in my book, actually, that's coming out. And I want to share this with you. So it's T equals D plus H 
multiplied by P. And T represents time, the length of time it takes to obtain your goal, right? We're all interested in our goal and we all want to have it now. We all want to have it in way less time. D is all the things you need to do to accomplish your goal. And you have to add that to H, the things you're going to have to have to do the goal. And then P is power. It's the multiplier of your doing and having. So if you have very little power, let's just call it like an ounce of fuel or a couple cubes of sugar, the, the amount of energy you can get out of it is relatively small. But if my power is massive and I have tons of it, the multiplier to my doing and having goes through the roof. And that's how we get this curve. So power versus force has this very clear example. And this is really your opportunity to choose. Like, can you choose power? Can you cultivate a hunger and desire for power, which really comes with being with reality? It really comes with wanting what's true and what's truer. And so I leave you with that thought to really take into your trading and apply to your trading and ask yourself, maybe even make some rituals in the morning. Like, how can I be more powerful when I show up in my trading? How can I be more in that zone and in that focus around reality? And you do that ritualistically you watch how things start changing in your life. You watch how you start going through this scalpel process that we were talking about in a much faster fashion. It does not have to look like the timeline on the right. All right, so love that. That's our psychology corner. Let's go into my next segment where we are going to do our trade review. And in this portion of the training, all I'm going to do is I'm just gonna delete everything. I'm going to delete all of my charts. In fact, let's get a new chart up. And I'm just going to change this to a daily. And I'm going to show you how to do this. So I'm going to show you how to build these charts, how to go through these, and do it in a way that's highly effective. So when I'm doing my technical levels, and this is on gold, I like to start with a clean chart in the beginning. And uh, on the charts, I like to save my horizontal tools up here. So you can do that up here afterwards, but green means support, red means resistance for me. Uh, green would be a below the existing price, red would be above, so it's kind of like stop and go if you know all you can do is buy. And so we're gonna start with our support levels. And what we're really looking for at first is kind of these low lows, these bottoms that the candles hit. And we're looking for some consistent price ranges where across in a horizontal fashion, you can see that the price stops and hits it pretty frequently. And you can really see actually one right here. I'm going to find. And it's kind of at this 1900 level. And by the way, if you're ever wondering like, well, am I close to a level? Rounded numbers are typically technical support and resistance levels. They just happen to fall in rounded numbers. Why? Because we're lazy traders. We put our take profits and our stop losses, these limit orders, at those prices. We just do it. It's it's incredibly lazy. A lot of the bots do it as well, but it's just what's so. So you'll see a lot of support and resistance on and around those levels. So 1900, definitely a level of support. We've got one at 1932. You can see it here, right? It's here and here, here. We got some levels further back. We're just gonna keep drawing these in. Looks like we've got one here for sure. See that here, so 1975. Got another one from a more recent high. Uh, it's 2005, I'm gonna bring it down to 2000. 
Again, remember the numbers? So it's like, oh, that would make sense. It's probably 2000, 1975. This 1932 is unique, but I'm going to keep it there. It might be a little lower, uh, but I like that. We'll keep it there. And then let's put in our support, our, uh, excuse me, our resistance levels. Obviously, you start looking at some of the highs. Let's see if there's any others below this price. There might be one like right here. And that's it. So those are what I call our horizontal support and resistance levels. And if all I were doing were trading these based on the current price, I would place, take profits no further than above my nearest uh, resistance level. And I wouldn't put my take profits or if I was waiting for it to come down, I wouldn't put my limit orders to get in anywhere below the support. Why? Think of these as walls. Think of them as like you throw a ball, it bounces off. You throw a ball, it ricochets off. And it's going to do that within however tight the walls are. So why would you put your profit through the opposite side of the wall? How much harder is it for you to throw your, think of it this way, to throw your fist through a wall to grab money on the other side and pull through rather than having the money just on this side of the wall sitting there? course it's going to be easier to grab it on this side of the wall and you literally have to think of it this way with this is just horizontal so if i were taking a stop loss stop losses will always be outside of the levels take profits will always be inside and you don't want to do like just a little bit you want to give yourself some margin and i also look for where i'm at in the trade with support and resistance if i'm right in the middle it's kind of like eh, it's 50 50 i'm not really strong one side or the other but if i started in this case getting closer to the 2000 level i'm going wow i could if i start seeing buy signals it's like my risk to reward goes through the roof i only have to risk a little bit cuz my stop loss can be just outside that wall which is you know just a couple feet away and my take profit is like way out there. It's on the clear other side of the room, right? And so the risk to reward gets a lot better when you're closer to a support and resistance level as long as your sentiment around your technicals or maybe something fundamentally that you're seeing goes in that direction. Now, let's talk about trend. I'm a big believer of trend. I'm a big believer of support and resistance and what's called non-linear support and resistance where we have these channels, is what we call them, that form the same idea, support and resistance, but not horizontally. Same principles apply. But you can combine these theories together, meaning both are going to be working. And in this case, you've got horizontal levels that are going to be working against you like a ball. But now you've just inserted a new wall, in a way, inside of the room. And this wall is not linear. And so if you were to throw a ball into that new corner, this new you know, kind of triangle that's forming, as it gets further into the triangle, the ball starts going faster and faster. And I wanted you to think of that as like pressure, which creates a higher likelihood of a breakout, meaning the pressure just builds up. And so it's very likely it's going to break through one of those walls, right? The ceiling or the floor, as they call it. And that's what happens when we start to see the pressure mount. So we're in a downtrend on this. What does that mean? It means that I would really like this to be higher up and taking a trade short because I like to trade the trend. That's one of the rules first. And when I take my stop loss, I want that to be way up here above uh, above the ceiling. 
and I want my profit to be above the floor. But every day, in this case on a daily chart, every day that goes by, this becomes more and more problematic because I get closer to my floor, which really is going to create some pressure to push up. And so I'm a lot more hesitant to take a buy trade on a breakout rather than a trend that comes back, bounces, and hits it. Okay, so that's kind of how I combine the two using technical analysis. This is how I do every one of my trades on gold and the S&P 500. It's actually pretty simple. The work comes in in identifying the levels and understanding the strength of the levels. Some levels, like 2,000, that's, a, that's an incredible support or resistance. One, because the price is zero, a bunch of zeros, but it's also incredible because... Uh, on top of the price, you've already got a support level that the price in the past has bounced off of. Where if you have something like this 1932 level, and it happened a long, long time ago, you may not see the type of support and resistance at that level because people, they look far back, but like how far back did we go? We went back, you know, a year for this support and resistance levels. Well, what if some of the support and resistance two years ago weren't at the same place? Well, a lot of people aren't looking that far back. And that's just the reality of truth uh, the relative truth around support and resistance levels is like, this is what we're doing. Robots that are going in and trading this stuff, they're looking at those same levels. Uh, a lot of the hunters in the market are doing the same thing. Retail traders, speculators in the market, we all are looking at the numbers at the end of the screen. And when you use things like Fibonacci, you'll be surprised at how many of these levels fall within these lines. Like, I don't, we could kind of show you an example. Let's see here. And it's not ever perfect. But you can see, even using Fibonacci, how some of these levels really start lining up. And it's like it's like incredible to see the patterns. It's like, oh, if I put it here, you can see the patterns. Like, look at this one. Nailed it, nailed it, really close, top level. So it's like four out of the five levels on Fibonacci from this uh, bottom to 2050. The retracement level, when it hit this, yes, it did spike over. But it came down, retraced all the way down. Uh, to that 38.2% level, which is a natural occurrence in nature, guys. This is what the flowers do when they blossom. This is like the spirals you see in like certain things in uh, nature in terms of like plants and how they grow. It's everywhere. They even say it's in your face. Like you can run a Fibonacci spiral on your face and you can actually see where it connects the dots. It's a natural uh, numerical occurrence and it happens in the market also. And all we're doing, you could use just Fibonacci I like drawing in my own levels. I find they're more effective. Uh, but these are natural occurring things in the market. And in my opinion, this just gets us closer to the truth. It gets us closer to reality. All right, guys, that wraps it up for our Market Pulse uh, podcast this week. I will be back in town next Friday to hit you up with the latest in the news. But until then, stay safe, stay savvy, and uh, enjoy your trading. I mean, it's probably the healthiest thing that you could be doing if you choose to have it from that perspective. All right, take care, guys.